Yeah, first of all, Craig, I'd like to give you a big welcome to Leicester Humans podcast yeah, and thanks for having me here yeah, in Berlin. Course, man. Come on, thanks man. for having me, really yeah. appreciate it. Do, do you know what's funny? So before I came up here, like I was randomly speaking to a couple of my friends who live in Birmingham because yeah. I knew I was about to come to Birmingham yeah, University. Yeah. So I called up one of my friends and I was like, oh yeah, I'm coming down to Birmingham. And like, yeah. She was like, oh, who are you coming to see? And I said, Craig. She goes, oh, Craig Pickney. And I was like, how did you know straight away? He goes, oh, no, he's the dude. And I, I was like, what, well, do you know him? She was like, no, but like everyone in the community, everyone in the ends know about you because you're like really frontline mm -hmm. and they, they, they know about the work that you do. They've seen a lot of your content online and people on the street and on the ground level really know yeah, about you. So yeah. before we start, can you just first of all tell us who is Craig and then also what is it like being like a frontline academic? Um, I guess in a nutshell, I'm a criminologist. Mm -hmm. I'm an urban youth specialist and my yeah. background is youth work. Mm -hmm. So I'm an actual qualified trained youth worker. Okay, amazing. Um, and then now I've become an academic yeah. um, in which I lecture at a mm -hmm. university college, Birmingham, mm -hmm. and where I teach criminology, criminal justice, yeah. uh, responding to gangs and serious youth violence, mm -hmm. um, and a range of other youth work type of modules that I teach at the mm -hmm. university. Um, so in terms of kind of, you know, what else is about Craig? One of the things on my slogan is bridging the, the gap between academia and the streets. Okay. And it's about how do we understand the way in which our young people communicate, the ways in which they behave, the mm. way in which they think. And that's backed by evidence. Yeah. Um, and it's about connecting that. So it's about making sense of what is that's happening on an academic most level. Most definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I just bring that out into reality. Yeah. <clears throat> so the things that you see me doing in the community or doing in the streets mm. is backed by a theoretical idea yeah. that often comes from many of my mentors. So Dr. Martin Glynn, mm -hmm. um, that teaches at Birmingham City University. I think I've seen you on a couple um, of stuff talking. And to yeah, me. and he yeah. Uh, his work is phenomenal as mm. it relates to gangs and violence and mm. understanding black men and a concept called dissistance, meaning mm. how do we make black men stop doing yeah. the things that they do. Mm -hmm. So I call him the walking book. Mm. And I'm the individual that kind of brings it in. Yeah. And then I've got other mentors, you know, like Mpume, you know, that kind of teaches more of my stuff around mm. trauma. And he's based in London. Um, Raymond Douglas, mm. um, that runs the kind of national um, youth violence agenda. And so I've got some real strong key people around me. And then yeah. again, it's about going back to the slogan of yeah. connecting the dots between academia and the streets. Because the reality is most youths on the ends are not going to come into a university. Mm, Does that make sense? Not. So I've yeah. got to bring the, the knowledge to them. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes when people hear me speak, it's not just coming from experience. Mm. It's also coming from a, an academic, um, grounded, theoretical idea that connects to that experience that I've had working in the community mm. with oftentimes violent young people and then making them make sense of the world in which they occupy yeah, and what right. they live. Yeah. Um, so in, in relation to your relationship and all the individuals that you mentioned, was it a case of you attached to these individuals in a particular way beforehand or was it you seeking them? How did that yes. relationship uh, so, come about? So everything was yeah. quite natural and organic. Mm -hmm. So going back to my background, prior to me becoming an academic in this yeah. institution, I used to work for the youth service okay. um, and I used to manage and also was a senior worker at a number of youth centres, mm -hmm. um, predominantly in the north northwest side of the city. That's Handsworth, Hockley, Winston Green. Mm -hmm. um, Is that the end, yeah? Yeah. yeah. So my part of the town anyway um but why that is interesting is because those particular centers that i was working at at the time were known for hotspot centers yeah meaning the young people that were actually attending there were kind of known for violence known to be in gangs mm. um 
county lines wasn't the terminology that was used at that particular yeah, time, but they were involved yeah. in, in selling drugs mm -hmm. um, up and down the country. So one of the things that I kind of learned to develop was um, a relationship, but that's basic youth work practice, mm. you know, forming those relationships, not just with young people, but also in the community, mm. understanding their families, meeting their families. So a lot of the young men that know me now mm. that may have, you know, names for the wrong reasons in the community, I was working with them when I was 11. Yeah. And now they're 21. Yeah. So those individuals, I still have those relationships with, and then their little brothers mm. and people that look up to them know me to be an individual that's worked alongside them. So yeah. it's kind of that that dynamic that when you work within community that a man give you a pass by default. Definitely. So I'm walking yeah. up the road and a man don't know my name, but a man's mm. like, you know what? I work with I work with the olders. Yeah. Does that make sense? I connect yeah. with the olders. So by default, mm -hmm. I'm willing to have a conversation conversation with you at all. Mm. So I've never gone out to seek young people. Young people have always kind of seen me in their environment, yeah. um, not necessarily knowing who I am, but based on the relationships that I've created within the community, it also supports and helps. And I think that the other thing is, because I've always used social media well in terms of promoting my content, promoting who I am, promoting what, I've, uh, what I'm about, it's also connected to a lot of parents. Mm. So a lot of parents see the things that's happening in the community and then they pick up the phone or yeah. they drop me a message on Instagram or they drop me a message on um, LinkedIn, Twitter or Facebook and mm. say, you know what, I need you to talk to my son. And then that's how you get another connection. Yeah. And then the third side of the connection is I go into schools, yeah. pupil referral units. So when they're telling me to go to places where the bad youth, yeah. <laughs> that's going in with himself, that's yeah. year nine, year 10, and I've got that relationship with that young person, then likewise again. And it's when a long-lasting relationship, yeah, I would assume, as well, because you're, you're building that relationship with them from an early stage. So um, th there's, a, there's a story I, I'm, I'm about to break down to you. So about last week, Thursday, yes. I was driving through Stratford. Mm -hmm. So what, me and one of my friends were going out to find some food to eat. And as we're trying to get past Stratford Centre to kind of curve around to head towards Brick Lane, I'm not sure you know East London that well, yeah. but you have to go through Stratford Centre in mm -hmm. order to get through to um, Brick Lane based on the direction that we were going. So there was a whole bunch of traffic, like you were, able, were unable to move, it was completely standstill. Yes. And then we got to a point where there was a, there was a police tape. Yes. And at that moment, my heart kind of sank because I kind of knew where it was growing up yeah. in the ends. The moment like you see police tape, you, you know see a whole bunch of traffic, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what's happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first thing that you start thinking about is like, oh gosh, I hope it's not someone from my bits or I hope yeah, it's not yeah, someone yeah. that I know mm -hmm. or someone who's potentially related to me or whatever yeah. but also the second thing that went through my mind here which is the sad part is something deep inside me knew Probably that a black boy the, no the thing is I yeah. knew yeah. it was a black boy yeah. before I'd heard the official news mm -hmm. I knew it was a black boy that committed a crime and I knew potentially being a black boy that was a victim of yeah. the crime and to me that's a sad thing to know in my community or that's a sad it's a sad emotion to feel and yeah. to know that it's the truth and it potentially yeah. ends up being the truth yeah. more, more time or not so what is that case? What causes young black men to kill each other? There's, mul there's multiple reasons. And mm -hmm. I think part of this discussion um, that I'd like to have is kind of not do the kind of the typical mm. conversation of just saying this is the one mm. and the only thing that does it. Mm. The answer is multifaceted. Most definitely, yeah. And I think one mm. of the things that we don't do is explore and have discussions about what violence is mm. and understand what violence is and where violence comes from. Mm. And how violence manifests in different types of ways. Mm -hmm. So I think the first point is to understand that we live in a violent society. Oh yeah, definitely, yeah. And the ways in which we understand, become desensitized, mm -hmm. the way in which we kind of internalize what violence mm -hmm. means and what violence looks like comes in many different ways, mm -hmm. whether that is through music, whether that is through film, whether that is through the arts, whether that is through cartoons, mm -hmm. whether that is through soap operas. Violence is, is kind of a, a 
aspect that is embedded within in our society. Mm. So then you've got to look at, well, if violence is embedded within our society, mm. what else makes up the society? Mm. So we look at families, we look at people, we look at society as a whole. Mm. But then what's happening in, within society? We know there's an issue of austerity mm -hmm. since 2010. There's been cutbacks, and based on those cutbacks, it's caused a ripple effect on not just um, necessarily families, but also the resources within specific communities yeah. to help support those communities um, in order to sustain and create kind of like a social bond that mm -hmm. can keep law and order taking place in their community. Yeah. That's also had an impact on mental health. So mental health services mm -hmm. have been cut back. We're talking about impact on schooling to the point where external organisations don't work in schools anymore. Mm. So schools now are having to create an environment where teachers are supposed to be trained to teach a curriculum, mm. but also to respond to the, the issues that young people are affected by. Yeah. So austerity is one thing. Poverty is another thing. Mm. And when I'm talking about poverty, I'm not just necessarily talking about poverty from the perspective of finance, because mm. finance is an issue, but also poverty of the mind which goes back mm. to my last point about education. So we've got a poor education system that's only teaching a curriculum about math, English, and science. Mm. But what about the life skills? What about independent skills? What about skills that's going to enable them to go into a society and be able to navigate their way through that society mm. financially, politically, socio-economically, and also to just enable to keep themselves safe? Yeah. So then those are other aspects. And then you've got the interpersonal relationships that take place. Mm. You know, we've got social media now that kind of removes us from that human interaction yeah. that we once mm. had when we were growing up. If I needed to link you, yeah. you know, I did. I had to come jump to your on house, bike. Yeah, jump yeah. on your bike, <laughs> yeah. go to your house, and maybe mm. you're at your house and maybe you're not. Yeah, I wouldn't know. Yeah, and then you have to make the journey. To maybe your mum was like, you know what, you're allowed to use the phone today. Yeah, so I'm like, <laughs> yo, Francis, like, yo, are you at your house? Why? Mum said I have to clean up, mm. and then you can come at twelve, yeah. and then I look at the time and estimate what time it is yeah, and then yeah, I ride yeah. to your house yeah. then we can play outside for a couple of hours mm. now everything's from a click of a button mm. so the ways in which we communicate also removes us from those human interactions and that's why when you look at online bullying you look at mm. extremism online you look at fraud that's taking place mm. online you look at the type of music content and gangs or rival groups that are communicating with each other mm. they all functioning within that violent context so when you ask that question why does a young man kill another young person. Mm -hmm. Then we also have to ask what else is going on side to the violence in yeah. the violent context that we're talking about. We also have an issue of identity. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by identity is that many of our young people don't know themselves. Yeah. They don't love themselves. So this kind of narrative that is propelled within the community that those that look like you are perpetrators and also victims. Mm. So I'm going to be scared of you, which also links to my earlier point about mental health. Yeah. So when I see you on road and you've got a hood on your head, are you one of them, man? Mm. You're afraid immediately. I'm, a, I'm afraid mm. immediately. Mm. And something's going on internally and also externally because externally the narrative is that you're the enemy. Mm. But who's meant to be... So, so, so I've, I've had this discussion with several people and they brought up the factors about like teachers and their responsibilities yes. in shaping children. Mm -hmm. But others would say, what about the responsibility of the parents? Isn't, that, isn't the academic um, field just solely supposed to be concentrating on the academic side? But in terms of like the interpersonal stuff, the human element, mm -hmm. your, your self-confidence, mm -hmm. your self-belief, your identity, yes. isn't that a family mm -hmm. responsibility mm -hmm. and a village mm -hmm. responsibility? Of course it is. In um, as an aspect, and that's why mm -hmm. I said it's multifaceted. Yeah. So of course, families have a role to play but then you have to look at families in 
2019 and beyond. Mm. You know, let's look at families historically versus families today. Mm. So if you go back 15 years, mm. 20 years, going back to when I'm saying when we were growing up, that family structure was, even though for some many, for many it was dysfunctional, it was intact. And I'll explain what I mean. Mm. So you had an extended family, you had neighbours, you had elders in the community, mm-hmm. and those individuals that, when mum and dad weren't around, or our guardians weren't they around, those people you. would yeah. put you in check. Yo, mm-hmm. you see the swearing? Mind your mouth, because I'll tell you mum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Birmingham <laughs> is predominantly Caribbean, so yeah. Miss Mangle or Miss Thompson up the road will come out of the window and say, yo, behave yourself, because mm. I'll tell your father. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So there was, type of, there was that kind of traditional village mentality that even though you're not my child, Mm. I'm going to watch out for you. If we fast forward to where we are right now, Mm. that is disseminated. Yeah, everyone disconnected. People are disrespectful to the elders. And number Mm. two, we don't even talk to our neighbours. I remember growing up and my mum and dad never used to lock the front door. So what's happening in our community that all of a sudden now, when we leave the house now, Mm. door locked, Porches locked, everything's locked up before we go about our business. When I went to school in the morning, I'd never think about needing to lock the door because we had a community that everybody was looking out for each yeah. other. But is that distrust? Is that is that a real thing though? Because statistically, supposedly, we're supposed to be living in the safest times ever in terms of like a lot of things, mm-hmm. like in terms of like economic freedom and various things. So is that scarcity and that, that fear of the other or the mm-hmm. neighbour, is that genuinely real or is that something that's now being embedded and programmed into us? I think both. Yeah. I think both. I think, as I said, the narrative mm-hmm. is that you're the perpetrator and you're the victim. Mm. I don't want to be a victim and I damn mm. sure don't want to be a perpetrator, but I will be a perpetrator mm. if you put me in a situation where I have to have be. To be yeah. So if you've got that narrative of there's more drugs in the community, mm. there's more um, er- addict, addicts mm. and um, coke, whether it's coke or heroin addicts mm. in the community, burglary's gone up, violence has gone up. Mm. Externally, what's going on in the community is telling us that there's a fear. Yeah. And there needs to be a fear. So as a response to fear, what do we do? It's self-preservation. Yeah. It's a basic law. So what do we do is we make sure that we're okay. We mm. make sure that our children are okay. But then whilst that is also going on, you've also got these children that are trying to navigate in a technological world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that yeah. oftentimes parents don't understand what mm. this technological world is. You've got social media platforms. You've got Instagram, Snapchat. You've got Twitter, mm. LinkedIn. You've got YouTube. You've got WhatsApp. You've got all of these different ways in which people communicate. Mm. When your parents made us want you to go to school and get an education, but don't understand that what those five particular platforms, for example, can also bring in terms of peer pressure. Mm. So you're teaching your child, yes, that you have your education. Yes, Mm. it is about self-love. Yes, it's about understanding yourself. Mm. But when you go to school, a man's saying, yo, but look at your crepes, bad man. Yeah, yeah. You're like, look at your trainers, bro. Like, what are those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. laughing and you're thinking, wait, I'm only here to... Well, like, what's wrong with my trainers? Now you're under pressure to step up your game. Does that make sense? And now you're under pressure to step up your game? Now, if you don't have it, and if your mum don't have it and your mum's saying stop worrying about that, what mm. part of what's going on with your mum is that she probably can't afford it, but she's also saying that you don't need to mm. live up to the materialistic things that people are promoting to you. Yeah. But the reality is that when you go to school, that's pressure. Mm. You're spending more time with those kids than you are with your mum. Than you are with your mum anyway. So then we can't just yeah. solely blame the parents. The parents mm. can give you the best foundation possible. Mm. But the reality is you've got to leave that household. You've got to go to school and you're going to be socialised mm. in different ways amongst different peers mm-hmm. that have different mindsets that, ne- that not necessarily 
have been socialized the way that you have. Yeah. They haven't been brought up the way that you have. So the way that my mum and dad had me in terms of manners, mm. when I was going to school, I realized that a lot of my friends weren't brought up like that. They could swear in front of their mums. Mm. I couldn't swear Same in front here. of my mum. No way. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. I had men that were bringing certain things into school that I couldn't bring into mm. school. You had certain men that went to school that didn't even attend classes. Mm. At secondary school, and I'm thinking, yo, I can't mm. not go to school because if a letter goes home to my mum, something's essentially going to happen. So you yeah. understand that when we have this conversation about family, mm. you understand that families are dysfunctional mm -hmm. and many families are dysfunctional. So I can't judge the way that my family have brought me up mm. versus the way that my friends brought up and assume that, it should be that everybody's going to be ultimately yeah. the same because those differences also may contribute to what may happen later on in terms of the stages of that young man or young woman's life. Yeah. So for example, when I got to year 11 year and uh, first year of college and I was moving around certain people that were robbing cars and certain yeah. men that were moving to certain men, I knew that's not how my mum and dad brought me up. Even though I was with the man them though. Mm. But I knew that that wasn't me. Though, I live with both of my parents. Okay, yeah. So this is also another point that there's a lot of communities that don't live with both mum and dad. Yeah. yeah. So... When I lived in my little cul-de-sac where I came from in an area called Hockley in Birmingham, um, out of probably about 32 houses that were, because um, Birmingham's not like London, we don't have estates mm. and stuff like that. So we have like little cul-de-sacs in the streets oh, yeah. and roads. So in the little cul-de-sac that I lived that had about 32 houses, it was only my household and my friend in front that had a mum and dad in a household. Yeah. So it's interesting that even when I look at the journey of myself versus the man that I grew up with, yeah. where they are now versus where I am it's, right it's now. It's actually funny you actually said that because that, that's what I do now. So what I do now is I track back now. So now I'm at a stage where I kind of understand certain things. I go back and statistically look at the behaviours of me and my peers growing up. So I look at the ones that had their dads in the house. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had both parents at mm -hmm. home. And then I look at the ones that didn't. Yeah. And there was one interesting thing that, that came up within my analysis of that. Mm -hmm. So you know how back in the day a lot of young people were being sent out to country and yes. stuff like that mm -hmm. to, to move stuff? I realised that the ones with their fathers around, there was a reason why we weren't sent out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because one, there's no way I can disappear out of my house for weeks on end when my dad is in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see what I mean? He's going to go find me. There was one day I, I came back from a party. I think I was like 14 or 15. I came back from a party like four o'clock in the morning and my mom opened the flap and she was like, you're not allowed in here. So I went off to stay at my, my boy's house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And literally the next day, my dad was searching around the whole town, driving around the whole hood, looking for me yeah. until he found me. So when I was doing the analysis, I thought, wait, yeah. Now I get it. There was no way an older would have been able to groom me to go country. Yeah, I was able to... You, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, was, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was, yeah, I, was, I got into other bits of bobs mm. and stuff. Like, you mm. know what I mean? Growing up in the hood, there's certain things that you do mm. that you're not proud of. Yeah, of but at the end of the day, there was, there was the extreme end of stuff I was never able to do because yeah, yeah. The, at the back of my mind, there was always another masculine figure yeah, pushing me back. Yeah, yeah, of course. Do you see yeah. what I mean? And also, mm. not only was he pushing me back, but he was pushing mm. the rest of the hood back from taking me to that next yeah, level. Yeah, yeah. But then when I look back at my other friends who perhaps maybe had their mum around who was a nurse who was working mm -hmm. full-time, nights, there's, there's, not, there's not that extra guardian. There wasn't that extra guardian. guardian. So they would so be the sent out, they're left the guardian. Guardian. The man then becomes the extra the man guardian. The guardian. That yeah. makes sense. So that's why when we go back to the original point about families, we have to understand the different type of families that also mm. exist. And then we also understand that there's families that have a missing segment mm. of um, a masculine role mm also may contribute to the fact that that young person becomes vulnerable. Yeah. So ultimately, when you ask why the young people become killers, for example, we have to understand, and 
or start with essentially why are young people alienated and they're alienated for many reasons. Mm. So it may be based on that they don't have that that consistent masculine role mm. within their lives, and that's a big challenge 100%. within the community. Oh yeah, definitely. In which we yeah. are, and you know, I think that's the that's the stress upon mentors, and I think that's also the burden upon many of us that want to contribute to the community, mm. but we can't be everywhere but runs. Definitely. You can't so if I can, run. if I'm only helping one one young man at a particular time, you might have about twenty mums. Mm. And aunties and grandparents are saying, you know, I need you to talk to my grandson. Mm. I need you to talk to my granddaughter and so on and so forth because it shows that that consistent males that mm. exist within young males' lives mm. is very important. Oh, yeah, definitely. And a lot of the men that I work with that have gone to jail um, are now serving life sentences for mm. killing other young people. When I kind of do a lot of um, work with them, one of the things that I ask is about the relationships they have with their fathers. Mm. So a lot of them generally talk about this idea that they had a dad, mm. but that dad wasn't an individual that played that consistent role. And I always talk about this idea about presence versus presence. Mm. You know, so there was always Get got it. the money. Yeah, take this, you know, take that. Had the yeah. latest things. Yeah. Um, and then I think about a lot of my friends that didn't grow in their households with their mm. dad. They always had the latest things. Yeah, my dad just brought me a new tracksuit mm. and whatever. But yeah, but your dad's mm. not about though. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the room. And it's, 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 major it's, it's amazing because it just reminds yeah. me of, um, you know, John Singleton's film, The Boys in the Hood. Oh, yeah. And that conversation between Dre and his, 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 mm. Trey and his father. Mm. And he said to him very specifically that he goes, watch mm. what's going to happen with all your friends that don't have a man in their life. Mm. You know, John was teaching us from early, but we was too, we, we was too, we yeah. was too, we was, we, we, were, was, we was watching old boys. Yeah. We were waiting at the drive-bys, yeah. but we, we were looking at the madness. Mm. But he was teaching us from early that the role of a man in a household is very important 100%. and integral, especially in an environment where the trap is created mm. for our young men to fall off. Yeah. And I think the other thing that we, we need to talk about that we don't really expose a lot is the role of capitalism mm. and the role of marketing and consumerism as it relates to adding fuel to the fire mm. within a violent context that we're talking about. Yeah. Because the Night Trainers, the Gucci, the Fendi, mm. um, the Le Christian Louboutins and all the things that we Dior now, mm. Chanel, all Fendi of the things now, that we yeah. all the things that we aspire now to want to have mm. is billions of pounds goes into this marketing. Yeah. And then we can't just say, we can't say things like, you know, the young, the youths are supposed to just mm. not want materialistic things, knowing that that thing's there. So you got to bear in mind the fact that, imagine you've got a mum that's in the house, working around the clock in a hospital, for example, mm. and there's no um, male guardian to the point that you mm. made earlier. And then you've got, that pressure of, you know, that mum's making sure that she's working around the clock to make sure that there's food in the house and there's clothing. But then there's that extra external pressure at yeah. school, in the community, where a man's just saying, yo, you ain't going to get no better trainers than yeah, that big Chelsea's man. Dead. Like, yeah, she's mm. dead now. Yeah. Like, that's four seasons ago. Mm. That's how man are talking to you now. Yeah. Like, your Gucci's are out of season. And you're thinking, yeah, but I just, just brought them. Week, I yeah. just went Vista and <laughs> brought them and they're brand new. But nah, yeah. nah, but they're three seasons ago. You need to get the yeah. new things, but the new things are £800, £500 or whatever. There's that added pressure. Mm. And I think that when we talk about the extra pressures that young people face in their social realities, mm. those little small things that are quite nuanced that happen simultaneously yeah. are oftentimes the thinking or the thought process that enables young people to go into this environment yeah. where whoever presents them with an opportunity mm. are going to take that issue. So whether that is, you know, man that, you know, promote these things online and talk about your just send your deets if you're from that west or mm. you got Halifax or and that all those the blatant, things like, like it's not even it's, cold, bl it's blatant. Yeah. 
Or a man just says, you know what, you know, you might want to make a little quick money. All you got to do is bring that over there. Or a man mm. says, you know what, just put that in your pocket or just leave it in your house for a couple of days mm. or whatnot. Man are going to be willing to do that mm. despite the dangers that essentially come with it. Yeah. But the problem is, is that they don't oftentimes think about the dangers that they're going in because what they're looking at is the glorification of the material things that essentially come with it. Yeah. So if I can show you 10 racks on a table and I can show you that I'm driving a Range Rover mm. even though it's rented mm. and even though I can show you shoes and whatnot, but my reality is that I still live in the same estate yeah. as you. Yeah. But it looks probably like my, still, life, it looks like my life is, is, is better. Mm. So young people make opportunities based on those things. But then you've also got to bear in mind, and the point I didn't um, ex extend on is mm. about the interpersonal relationships as well. You've got young people that are navigating their way through these particular environments. Mm. And they are told that the environment in which they live in is yours. Mm. The postcode is yours. You represent the postcode, which is yours. Mm. And you don't come out of your postcode. You don't navigate from yeah. your postcode. So... Another form of education also enters the mind of these young men mm. and young women as well. So yes, I'm being educated at home. Mm. Yes, I'm being educated by the educational system. Mm. But there's a street education also that's taking place yeah. as well. So if I live in this particular postcode, the man that live on my state or live on my street are saying, yo, you don't really mess with them man there, you know, because mm. they're the ops. Yeah. Now, I ain't got no ops. I ain't no beef with no one in my life. Mm. But you told they're the ups. Yeah. You told they're the man them you that don't you're even afraid know them of. So cool. So yeah. imagine, all right, then one day I go to school mm. and I see these ups that I've never had a problem with. Mm. And you jump on a bus and you do that. Yeah. I'm gonna like, Yo, who's my man? Why, yeah. why is he moving his head like that why for? Is he putting his you're a big man. man. Yeah, where yeah. Are you from? Yeah. Now that question, where are you from, is one of the most scariest questions man, any 13, 14, so 15, 16, 17 year old can answer. Mm. Because where you from? has so many nuanced connotations with it. Mm. Because if you answer the question correctly, it's a problem. Mm. And you don't answer it correctly, it can also open a door for robberies. Mm. And the other thing, or a man might tell you that you're lying. Mm. So when a man says, where are you from? Mm. It's almost a man saying, do you want to die today? 100%. So what do you expect these young people to essentially do? So young people are evolving in a culture that tells them that I'm supposed to go to school, supposed to get education, supposed to make my mum and my dad proud or make my mum proud or make my dad proud if I live with solely a single parent. Mm. But at the same time, that whilst I'm trying to get to school, that man might ask me where I'm from and I'm not involved in any gang because the reality is, is that if I live on an estate or live in a particular street, it is almost impossible for me not to know the man them. Yeah. It's impossible your family, for me to not know the man yeah. them. Yeah. So even if I don't roll with you, of course I know you because... Your nan and my nan know each other. Your nan and my nan go to the same church. Mm. We've went to the same primary school. We've went to the same secondary school. Of course, I know you. Mm. So if I see you, I'm going to hail you every now and then. But the problem then is, is that young people then feel that if I'm going to be a one sole soldier mm. trying to ensure that my safety is going to be paramount when I'm trying to go to school, go college and whatnot, for some people, it's easier to align myself with the man them that yeah. are most likely going to protect Sometimes me. you don't even have a choice, though. That's the thing, because, I mean, grow, growing up, I grew up in, like, a little mini estate, and there was, like, loads of other closes mm -hmm. and various, like, um, housing estates yeah. around, and you don't actually have a choice. Yeah. So that's a lot of things that mm -hmm. the parents don't understand, because mm -hmm. recently, my, my parents were on a radio station, and um, a couple of months back, I was on this station, we were talking about, like, kids joining gangs, yeah. and they asked me the question about how come so many young West African kids who seem to be good go to yeah, this yeah, particular yeah. church mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. forth were associated with a yes. gang? And I was mm -hmm. like, look, 
mumsy popsy. Sometimes these kids don't have a choice. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. growing up where I grew up, mm. I did not have a choice in terms mm. of the people I hanged around with. Yeah, yeah. You see what mm. I mean? Luckily for me, I kind of veered towards like the good yes. guys in yeah, the end yeah. or the guys mm. that weren't getting into yeah, that yeah, much yeah. of a dark, yeah, yeah. dark place. Because mm-hmm. just the fact that you live there, you're associated with that of area. Course, yeah, so even if you step out mm-hmm. as a good you, yeah. do you know what I mean? Another another click from another side yeah, yeah. will see you. You're associated by by. And they're going to ask you the question. they're going to ask you the question. you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So then one of the things that in terms of my PhD research is I argued that gangs are like surrogate families. Mm. They are surrogate families. They replace everything in society that adults are unable to give us yeah. at a particular time. Mm. So if you look at basic, you know, those basic needs where we're talking about fashion, we're talking about clothes and just, just having money in your pocket. Mm. If you have a environment or you live in a, a, a household where, you know, money's quite mm. tight, but you're eating and you've got, you know, warm clothes on your back and you're able to go into and from school and whatnot, but you just need more things and mum or dad can't really support it right now, mm. the surrogate family will allow that and they'll give you opportunities yeah. in order for you to get that. So county line, mm. scams, fraud, and yeah. all of these things are opportunities there. And the key thing, and I think that majority of society don't focus on, as well as the Department of Education, as well as the government are not looking at, is the fear of our young people. Yeah. Because we don't talk about fear. We don't, we don't analyze the impact of fear and anxiety mm. that exists amongst young people yeah, within our society. after the fact that they've done something. So, so. if you're scared mm. and I'm scared, Listen, if the mandem are saying that they can ensure that I'm safe, it's mm. a no-brainer. I'm rolling with the mandem. Mm. Or number two, if I think that, you know what, in order for, to protect myself, I need to bring out my mum's kitchen mm. kitchen knife. I'm going to do it. Mm. I'm going to do it. I'm not thinking about the consequences or when the situation comes or arises that I'm going to have to use it. But psychologically, I'm telling myself that I need to be prepared just in case something happens. Mm. So when the next time when a man says to me, yo, where are you from? I can show a man, yo, yeah. you leave me alone. Mm. Does that make sense? But then you and I know the reality is that when, them scenar- when those scenari- <laughs> scenarios <laughs> pop up, yeah. that it's more than just showing you the blade. You might have to take it out because mm. a man's going to say, what are you going to do with that? And if you don't use it, that becomes another thing. And now with social media and how everything is being kind of like um, mm. sensationalized, mm. if you pull out a knife on someone and you don't use mm. it, everyone's going to attack you on social yeah. media. It's like being in the gladiator yeah. arena yeah. all over again where everyone's like, mm. kill, kill, mm. kill. So yeah. even, even carrying it for protection, mm. it doesn't become protection anymore because yeah. you're carrying it to use it as an offensive weapon. Yeah. So I was looking into something interesting recently and um, I came across and I think just, mm. just before we go there I just want to finish that point mm. and then that might help us to understand the first question about why young why people are joining yeah. gangs number one and why young people are possibly coming violent mm. so those two things so if the needs in which the physiological needs that young people need in mm. terms of you know making sure that they've got money in their pocket they can eat yeah. those things if those things are not sorted as well as addressing the safety needs no matter how educated you make somebody mm. no matter how good you feel make them feel about themselves mm. those things are the things that families nurture upon yeah those things are what school is supposed to give to young people mm. but if i can't keep you safe mm. and i can't find a way that i can put legitimate money in your pocket mm. unfortunately it's going to create those environments where those same young people mm. are going to Preserve themselves, self-preservation is the same thing. Yeah. So no matter how much I I could give you books of knowledge right now, we could have a we could have the most knowledgeable conversation right mm-hmm. now. And imagine if a man come in the room and said, Yo, Francis, mm-hmm. yo, I'm not gonna let you know right now. There's about four men waiting for you outside, outside. Mm-hmm. They're talking about you, you're from London, you're not supposed to be in mm-hmm. Brum right now. No matter what we discuss yeah. in the next two hours, yeah. no matter how much jewels and tell you about self-love and look mm. after yourself and you need to you need to be psychologically and physically and mentally strong. Mm. 
Mm. You're thinking about the mandem that's outside. 100%, and this yeah. is my point that I'm and making. I'm to navigate that and, and this is the conversation yeah. that we're not having. Mm. We're talking about what young men are supposed to know. We're talking about the consequences of what young men and young women are supposed to know. Mm. We're talking about, but we're not teaching them survival. Mm. We're not teaching them how to survive. We're not giving them the options of this is what you need to do in survival. So when I'm working with young people that present me these particular issues about I'm making my way to school, or I'm coming from school and I've got problems with these men. Mm. And the British um, Medical Journal mm. reported, and you might remember in London, it called it the most dangerous hours. Yeah. And it said that the so most dangerous hours to... between four and six yeah. and the most dangerous hours. So my argument is, is that if we're putting that into the public domain and we're telling parents that mm. and we're telling um, schools that and we're telling young people that, so who's, who's putting something in place to ensure that between four till six, that their safety needs are being met? My point again. Yeah. So young people are going to do things in order to preserve themselves because yeah. I don't want to die. Yeah. I don't care what and you want to say to me, I don't want to die. That at that time you're in danger. So what are you going to do about your, your survival within that period of time? But then what, what are we supposed to do within that period of time to protect our kids? Is it, is it the family's responsibility because they work in endless hours or is it the government or is it the schools that are meant to put strict strategies and, and procedures in place to p protect the kids well, this is why we need to go old school mm. and we need to start thinking about well what have we changed mm. in the last 10 years so you, my original point when you asked me the yeah. question I spoke about austerity mm. and I said as a consequence of austerity mm. cutbacks and services and systems mm. has impacted on that so youth services youth communities and organisations mm. are paramount in that 4 to 6 time frame why because i remember when i used to do youth work mm. we used to go to the school and collect kids and bring them to the youth center mm. i used to we go had, to youth center after school club we yeah. had programs that ran from six to nine mm. every single day so i'm not saying it's the ultimate issue mm. and the ultimate response but i'm saying as a consequence of removing those services mm. you're leaving kids for the slaughter mm. during that critical time frame so one of the things that i talk about in my work is i got an approach called unrolled youth work and one of the things i've been arguing with parliament is that if that was to be incorporated as an approach mm. that would help alleviate some of the issues around safety of our young people. If you had a young person or a youth worker from the community that knows the ends, mm. that knows young people that go yeah. to school, I'm telling you, if I was to jump on a school bus that runs between Hockley and Handsworth, mm. highly unlikely certain men are gonna jump on my bus. Mm. I'm not saying for certain, man can't get moved to. Mm. I'm not saying that for certain. But what I am saying though is, man know, mm who you can do certain things around. Yeah. So if you've got the community links, you've got those community networks and you train a pool of youth workers, that is that frontline response. And when you look at Chicago and you look at Chicago reduced violence in Chirac mm. and you look at Glasgow and what Glasgow do did in order to reduce violence there, what did they do? So that's why this conversation of a public health approach is used because oh, yeah. it needs to be community-led, yeah, yeah. academically driven, bridging yeah. the gap between academia and yeah. the streets because it proves that if you can engage with the issue mm. right at the pulse and not leave things to happen, you're going to engage it. So when you look at the organisations in Chicago that was operating during um, Chicago being a murder capital of the world, mm. what was it that they were doing? They was engaging the issue at the point. You had people from the community mm. that knew the community, that knew parents, that knew families, that knew the young people that were, they were out in the community. Yeah. I'm here. But why is that not being funded though? Because if, if that's seen as a, as a great way of preventing or perhaps even completely eradicating, why is that not implemented? Why is there not mo no more support and funding put into projects like because that? Because then we have to address the elephant in the room. Mm. And the elephant in the room is that when you add race, mm. gender, and you engage and start talking mm. about class, you then start to realise it only seems to be us are the ones that mm. are, are yeah. most in danger. You know, And I think 
when you kind of analyze what is happening, when I say us, I'm talking about black and ethnic mm -hmm. minority groups, or you know, even if people don't want to use those terms, people of color mm. ultimately are victims of the system and it's wider system of violence. Because when you look at, you know, stop and search and you look at deaths within police custody and you look at the ways in which black young people are treated within the criminal justice system and you look at the disproportionality in um, as it relates to sentencing and harsher sentences and um, the way that people are treated within the criminal justice system, you know, it's, it's you know, we don't need to look at data yeah, to yeah. kind of answer that question. Yeah. You know, it's us that are the victims, mm -hmm. and if we are framed to be the ones that are the, solely the perpetrators, mm -hmm. and you look at your P.S. Morgan narratives and others, that it's just us goes back to also the ripple effect that it has in the community because mm -hmm. then we also believe that we are the only problem mm -hmm. because when we talk about the issue of knife crime for example we don't talk about Glasgow being the knife crime capital for many years mm -hmm. but we only want to focus on London being the knife crime capital and it just so happens that mm -hmm. black males um, are predominantly perpetrators and predominantly victims yeah. so if we can make it if we can frame this idea that it's only you that are the problem then maybe we don't need to finance and fund it the same way as we would if it was happening predominantly to white people yeah. but we can't ignore that racism is something that also impacts the same violent system mm -hmm. in which we're talking about and if we are victims of that wider system of racism and it becomes institutionalized mm -hmm. then you're going to find that those that are proponents of violence mm -hmm. may not get the same type of response as they would with other people that come from different yeah, racial groups. It, that's, that's, that's super interesting you just said that because, um, it, I, so for a long time, I always stayed away from the topic of race. Not stayed away from mm -hmm. the topic of race, but in terms of like, I, I, I always used to be, be on, the, on the idea that it's all about the individual sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Like I have to take responsibility for myself. Mm -hmm. It's about my family taking responsibility of me. But then I realized I was coming from a privileged place because I came from mm -hmm. a household where both my parents were there. Yes. Very strong people, mm -hmm. hardworking, setting strong values. Yes. So even though I'd done a lot of BS throughout my life, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always came back. Yeah. I was always the prodigal mm -hmm. son that always came back. I never really railed off the yes. thing. I was never really mm -hmm. the bad you mm -hmm. in the end. If someone wanted mm -hmm. to go and do a robbery, they won't call me and be yes, like, yo Francis, let's yeah, go yeah, do this, boom, yeah, boom, yeah, yeah. But if mm -hmm. I'm and something kicks off I was about but I was never the bad yes, kid course, I was never yeah. the one that was on it mm -hmm. so it's only in 2013 really that I started thinking about how cheap black life is mm -hmm. that's when it hit me and that was when the case of um, you know Rick Ross when he had a big um, Reebok deal yes. and then he released a song where he talked about date rape mm -hmm. drug he never really said oh, I'm gonna, I, I forgot the line but yeah, he, I know what you're, do, I know do you remember do you remember the line there's a massive campaign it was madness like the media the, the, the corporate companies they, they everyone just wanted to boycott him I mean if it was now they would have cancelled yeah, Rick Ross yeah, yeah, but yeah. cancel mm -hmm. culture wasn't around yeah, yeah, yeah. him mm -hmm. And I took a second to think about it. I was like, wait, I don't really like talking about race all the time and, 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 and the, the value of black life as compared to like other lives yes. and stuff. But when that case came around, it really hit me. I was like, okay, he talked about rape and I get it. Rape is a disgusting of thing. Course, yeah. But he's been talking about killing and blasting black people yeah, yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. talking about black women as bitches and hoes yeah, yeah. since forever. Mm -hmm. So in his raps yeah, yeah. and in other um, mm -hmm. rappers' raps, they've been killing millions yeah, yeah, of black yeah. people yeah. and been destroying millions of black women's images. Mm -hmm. But that was cool mm -hmm. until we talked about rape. Then I thought to myself, wait, if a rapper was to come about and talk about, oh yeah, I grabbed my German shepherd, I sliced his neck, I shot my German shepherd in the head, mm -hmm. what would happen? Yeah, of course. If I was, mm -hmm. if I was to release a track right now <laughs> yeah, talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. killing animals, <laughs> what would happen? We're going to have an uproar. There'll be an uproar. Yeah, and uproar. that's when it first hit me and mm -hmm. I realised that black life has is, is become really cheap. Mm -hmm. And not only is it cheap, we're now becoming the, the perpetrators of projecting this yeah, image yeah. of black life being mm -hmm. cheap through our music. Mm -hmm. 
you know what I mean? And so, I think that, that is a, a deeper conversation and I think that we always should apply race mm. when we're having a conversation about any social phenomena and that's why the concept of intersectionality mm. you know, was birthed in America from a sociological perspective mm. that got us to kind of look at no matter what social phenomena that we're talking about, mm. you have to talk about race, class and gender. Mm. You can't ignore it. Mm. So what happens is that we have these conversations and we want to talk about everything else as opposed to the impact of race. Mm. And I think that when we start talking about race, we then start to talk about well, what ra- what is racism mm. and how does racism function? Mm. Because we need to understand that racism is not just a thing in which people just call you and say things mm. just based on the color of your skin. No, racism is a system. Mm. When you look at the work of Dr. Francis Chris Rousey, she calls it a system and a system of which all forms of human activity is impacted by whether it's economics, whether it's education, whether it's um, law enforcement. It all functions under this wider system that what she calls in her work racist white supremacy, this notion and this idea that we are inferior. And if we are f- proponents and victims of that wider system, then how does that work in terms of um, law and implementation of law? How does that work in terms of policy? policy? How does that work in terms of housing? How does that work in terms of our interpersonal relationships? Mm. So if violence, to my earlier point, is a main proponent mm. of that wider system, then we are going to be victims of that same system in which we are going to be blamed for the things that statistically we are not the ones that are bringing the guns and the drugs into yeah. our country, but mm-hmm. you are going to be the boogeyman yeah. and we are going to make the world believe that they should be scared of you because you're the one that causes the problem. Let's look at terrorism. Perfect example. Before September 11th, before September 11th, There was no word or no conversation about Muslims being a terrorist. Mm. And statistically, far-right groups commit more acts of terrorism in this country and in Europe than any other group. Mm. So why is it that we see on the newspaper every single day talking about Muslim, 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 and then innately, we in our communities think that them men over there are the problem. So that moral panic... Mm -hmm that is created, that boogeyman that is created within our community is the same thing that's now happening to us. So black lives are cheap. So when we die, it's not the same as unfortunate that young white girl that got killed in London, Mm -hmm. which is unfortunate and is also sad. The government response was very different then. Mm -hmm. If you remember, Theresa May wanted that round table. Mm -hmm. All frontline organizations and key, key stakeholders, she wants them to have that meeting and talk about the role of that. So we need to understand the, um, the system of racism yeah. and how it impacts us in many different types of ways. Yeah. So even though that we may have come from privileged backgrounds in a sense that we didn't end up like the mandem, we also become victims of that same system because whether I'm walking up the road or you're walking up the road, you think they know that you're you're doing data analytics. Mm. You think they know that I've got five degrees. Mm. It doesn't mean nothing no. to them because they're willing to punch you and me in the face the same way they would with one of the youths on the corner. And then we can't ignore that those things don't happen as well. Many reports of our young people getting bullied, getting treated unfairly by the police. Why? Because a lot of them are criminals anyway. So it's okay. As long as you're a criminal, it's okay. And then you look at a America and we see the same thing that's happening. Mm. Eric Garner, perfect example. You know, they accused him of a man that was selling things outside of a shop, but they strangled him and killed him outside there. So it's okay because you're a criminal anyway, or we perceive you to be a criminal anyway. And we see that same type of behavior that's now, that exists within here within the UK. So our young people feel that they are in a system that one, they can't understand. And I'd, I'd also believe that oh, as yeah, well. Oh yeah, definitely. That young yeah, people they, don't they really understand, to understand what's yeah. happening in the system. Mm-hmm. And part of that system is designed, unfortunately, to put them in a situation 
that they can't feed for themselves. So that's why when we look at um, some of the kind of movements that we look historically mm. uh, as it relates to kind of black enlightenment and black thinking um, and black mobility, what were the key things that they was teaching? Self-development, mm. self-love, yeah? Self-pride were the key things that they was teaching. So if I can remove self-pride, whether that is through education, mm. whether that is through pulling up certain types of resources mm. within the community, I then believe that I'm not the one that I can solve my own problem. Mm. So I'm then going to wait for the government to do something for me mm. that I can do with you and we can do for each other. Yeah. Because I don't need the government to help me look after my son. Mm. I'm not allowing nobody to kill my son. Mm. That's me as a father saying that right now. Mm. I'm not allowing nobody to take my son. So I'm going to do things to ensure the safety of my children. Yeah. But if I believe and I've been stripped by the same system mm. to make me feel that, you know what, I'm powerless... Mm then I'm going to sit there waiting for Boris Johnson mm. or the mayor of London to say, all right, then we're going to put another two million to deal with the problem. And two million sounds like a lot of money, but two million can't deal with mental health, dysfunctional poverty, families, poverty, acute poverty, um, issues around fear, um, young people in terms of who they are, what they are, independent learning, independent skills mm. that's going to happen them and an array of other things that's impacting young people. Two million can't engage with that problem. Mm. Definitely. If I let you so believe, you can't even get two buildings in London to even okay. build a youth center, let okay. alone like engage. So if we can like put plasters mm. on a deep-rooted problem, mm. then it's going to make you and I believe that we're we're moving forward. Yeah. But how how do we as how do we as a as a group fight back and push back against this? Because the the way I see it is like okay, as an individual, you've got a great stand in terms of you preserving and protecting yes. your family. Mm -hmm. But in, if we don't do it as a unit, there's people out there that are not doing the same. Yes. So their kids are going to be dysfunctional. They're going to affect your kids yes. some way, somehow. Same way I was affected, of same course. way you was affected. So how do we do it as a community, as a wholesome mm -hmm. unit? Do you know what I mean? So what, what can... So I've got, I've got an issue right now that yes. I'm kind of struggling with in, mm -hmm. in my head. I'm thinking... Yes. Like, there's always one question I ask myself. If yes. there's, if I could do one thing right now, if I could yes. swing one wand here that can change one law or can change one, um, or yes. can change one community way of thinking, yes. I can only do one thing yes. that I think is going to have the most impact. Yes. What would that be? Mm -hmm. And that is my thinking right now that I'm struggling with. It's like, how am I supposed to change the community? Yeah, as an individual, mm -hmm. I can do my own thing. Yes. Like, I've, mm -hmm. I've got little siblings. I've got a little brother who I'm always speaking strength mm -hmm. into. I'm always encouraging him of to course. become a better man. Mm -hmm. And luckily for him, when he was born, we moved out of the ends. Yeah. And then obviously I've moved further out now, yeah. but he, he moved out of the end. So his mentality and his, his, his whole status of being is completely different mm -hmm. to mine. But at the end of the day, that's one individual. Yes. And I think in order for us to make a real impact, yeah, it has to be something of a bang that covers everyone. Of course. So what would that mm -hmm. one thing be? And I think it goes back to my point um, that I made before is, first of all, we have to analyse what's going on. Mm. I don't think as a collective we know what's going on. Mm. The baseline is that we know our children are dying. Mm. But we don't understand the impact of that and where that root comes from. Mm. So the second thing that I would argue is that do we understand what our public health approach is? Because in my opinion, and my analysis, a public health approach is what's required in order to save our children and for the yeah. next generation. So there's learning that comes from that. Mm -hmm. So we're not, we're not in the woods and we're not completely um, on our own in this. Mm -hmm. Because I said again, Chicago was a murder capital mm -hmm. of the world. No matter what stat you want to throw in front of me, mm -hmm. if you're talking about 80 kids have been killed in London, that's a good two months in Chicago. Oh yeah, there was one weekend where like 64 people okay, were shot. So yeah, now you understand. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what did Chicago do mm. in order to reduce the level of violence amongst our young men and women at a certain level that there was, violence was still there, but the level of fatalities was not the same. What did they do? 
What did Glasgow do when they went to London? That they used a particular model that helped them remove this label of Glasgow being a knife crime capital mm. of England and Wales. It was Europe, wasn't it? One and in Europe at one yeah. particular point, what did they do? Mm. So this is the learning that we kind of get from this. And mm. I'll go back to the kind of other conversation about it needs to be community-led mm. and academically driven. Mm. So community-led in real time means those of us that know, those of us that are in positions where we can connect those dots mm. of understanding what is happening for us, mm. to us, then it's for us to create that model which has been created, by the way. Okay. And then we then need to use those of us that are connected to us, that have the resources and the finances mm. to ensure that's going to happen. That's also going to include not just families, not just the community as a whole. It's going to require religious institutions mm -hmm. to get involved in this Most as well. Yeah. It's also going to... Um, involve our entrepreneurs and our business men and women mm -hmm. in our communities to help and support in terms of that too. Mm -hmm. It's also going to require for us to probably use some of the mandem too mm -hmm. that are doing the wrong things mm -hmm. in society because those people are probably going to have the better reach to the youths that we want to change in our society yeah. better than most people yeah. in our community. And with all of those different collectives that engages community, engages health, engages education, we need to create that model that we then can bring back to the community that can ultimately save our young people. So that's why I say I break it down into very small segments. Mm -hmm. So reinstating um, youth services in which is what the mayor is now promoting mm -hmm. um, and now Labour and others are now saying that if they get back into power that youth services are going to be reinstated. I'm saying that's a good thing, but it's also going to require a body of work in our communities yeah. because what's been taken away since 2009 and 10 is going to take another 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also something that we need to accept as well. Mm -hmm. Any public health model that is implemented that's community-led and ap academically driven, <coughs> it's going to take a minimum of 10 years yeah. for us to start seeing some changes. Yeah. And we uh, have to accept that. So, because what we want is short-term short, short -term fixes. Yeah. We want the violence to stop tomorrow. It's not. But if we understand mm -hmm. what violence is, mm -hmm. it, 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 it's a process in which it's going to take a time frame mm -hmm. in order for, for us to start to see types of changes. So I just look at it from a, no, a normal particular issue. And that's why I used the term earlier about desistance, mm -hmm. what causes our men to stop. And that's why I mentioned Dr. Martin Glynn's work. And the whole notion of desistance is the process in which stop individuals from committing acts of criminality. Mm. So some of that talks about the role of community, mm -hmm. social bonds, meaning the networks that you have. Mm -hmm. The idea that the more networks that you have that are positive networks, similar to our experiences, yeah. is going is to deter you away from not being around the man. Then it also talks about the role of relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, what are relationships? We don't fund enough work around developing relationships. Yeah. I'm talking about men dealing with their, their sons that's on, uh, a project I used to run with young men about what is a man, mm. you know, looking at masculinity, you know, what type of father should you be, you know, versus the, the fathers that are projected in our society to be. Um, other aspects about faith, you know, we know there's growing research that look at men that embrace faith, mm. of any faith, those individuals tend to reduce violence at a rapid rate yeah. compared to any other intervention. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying in a nutshell is that we need to start utilising those interventions that have been tried and tested. Yeah. Our problem is, is that we think we know it all. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what goes to my original point. I don't think we understand violence. Mm. Because if we understand violence, then we would probably look at those interventions that enable us to kind of ask new questions. Because mm. if faith is a solution, then I think maybe we should try it. Mm. But we look at faith in the things that, mm, yeah, because what many of us do is we, we faith people. We're only faith on the days that we're supposed to be faithful. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then we're, we're criminologists, mm. we're sociologists, we're mm. data analytics. Mm. When we're at work, when we're not faith people. Yeah, not Does that Christians, make sense? Muslims, so we, 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 we put the faith at the door. Mm. We go in, we get our spiritual enlightenment and then we put back on our work hats and then we go back to work yeah. and then we disconnect ourselves from that. So what I'm saying is that we need to make it a part of the process. I'm not saying it's the only process. Some of us are individuals that know that in order for us to um, come out of violence and criminality, we need an opportunity, mm. whether that is education, training or a job. Yeah. And we know that if there is jobs and there's opportunities within our community, Pretty we need purpose. to do that. Yeah. So, so if those are the real issues that are deterring us away uh, or can deter us away from, from violence, mm. then it goes back to your question is, well, why are we not doing it yeah. as, a, as a society, as yeah. a country? And then it asks the question again that then if we're waiting for the government to do that, can we do that within ourselves? You know, do we know millionaires in our community? We, some of us know millionaires mm. in our community. I'm not saying that we should be just putting the burden upon all businessmen and entrepreneurs in their community. No, but I know if we look at other communities and look what they do with their entrepreneurs and their business people mm. in their communities, we know the wealth stays within their community mm. and they circulate wealth up to days, sometimes weeks, mm. before it goes into any other community. But then we're going to go back to the point of our communities mm. and we go back to Dr. Twice. Francis West Carlson's mm. work around us being victims of a system. Part of that system is capitalism and the fact that you need to get paid mm. and give it straight away mm. because that's not going to help your community. So as long as you're raving, as long as you're at carnival, as long as you're doing all of these so-called independent days mm. where our countries are not independent <laughs> yeah. because they're still being under on the hostage of yeah. other particular other western governments and mm. whatnot as long as we're distracted and we're partying and we're raving and everything's mm. everything's nice mm. we can stay distracted and as once we're distracted we're not going to engage with the issues that's mm. there so before we start talking about what we need to do as a people mm. we need to start having internal conversations yeah because the days in which i know that there's many events that are taking place to safeguard our children have been on the same days where carnival is on the same days where there's some big party mm. or some big barbecue that's taking place in our community mm. so what's more important these are the questions that we need to ask because it's only important when it's your son. Yeah. It's only important when it's your daughter. And I'm sick and tired of having these conversations with community when there's a big celebration to take place. We're quick to jump up to celebration. But when we say, you know what, let's take back our streets. Let's take back our communities. Let's are the people in the community that are willing to volunteer to help between that four and six. Is there anybody in the community Nobody's between the four and six? Mm. You know, because we've got organisations that even can fund it, can put money in your pocket. Is there anyone that can be around certain schools? Anyone with lived experience? Anyone that knows Wagwan mm. in the ends? Can you be around four to six mm. when our children are being slaughtered? Mm. We hear silence. So let's not talk about the government for a moment. Yeah. Let's talk about ourselves. Most, most definitely. Yeah. And I'm not saying we should blame solely ourselves because it's a wider system. Mm. But what I'm talking about is distraction. If we can be distracted for the longest period possible, how are we going to become conscious? Everyone's on this stay woke yeah. kind of yeah, narrative. But what does stay woke mean? Yeah. 
Stay woke means that you recognise what's going on with our people and we put things collectively in place to represent, to engage with those particular things. So from my avenue, my thing's education. Yeah. Because I believe that if I can educate more people to understand what is happening within our communities, we can do things to make it better. So in terms of violent reduction, for example, if I can tell people that these key hours are the key things that we need to be doing, then I will train youth workers and do train and that's youth a lot workers that a lot to respond really in know. that particular yeah. time frame. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that a lot of people don't even know in terms of like the hours where most violent crimes tend to take place. Now, um, touching back on the, the element that you're just talking about in regards to like religious people being yes. like the less violent, I, I've looked into that a bit yes. as well. And I realised that um, group morality and having something bigger than you, or larger than you, plays a big part in, in your actions that you take. Because yes. if you believe in a God over watching you, you're not mm -hmm. really necessarily going to be doing evil. Yeah, you might be doing mm -hmm. bits and bobs here and there, mm -hmm. but you're always going to be having that eye watching you. And also group morality, it, it requires other people to also so watch over you so they're accountable for you and you're accountable for yes. them and going back to the whole thing about like parents and single mothers um i was recently looking into like the biological reasonings behind it and okay. it's like when children are growing up especially boys in particular they become very dominant when once they start reaching puberty of course and what happens during puberty as well is the boys they become bigger than their mothers yeah, of course physically mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so physically when you become bigger than your mother and you're looking for your masculine independence yes she can't push back yeah, at of you. Course. Yeah. There used to be mm -hmm. a point where she was bigger than you, so yes. her voice used to sound scary, but now yes. you're thinking, right, I'm bigger than her, mom yes. can't chat to me. Do you know what I mean? And then when you don't have that bigger figure, which then goes back to the religious element when it comes to like older people, mm -hmm. it, it helps and it p protects us and it, and it keeps us like bound yeah. from mm -hmm. st stepping out yeah. of boundaries. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's quite and interesting. And it, and like, and what it's interesting because that is um, the psychological impact of absent yeah. fathers is mm. what it's called, or father deficit in yeah. terms of the academic term. And the argument is that, you know, that, young people, male or female, mm. kind of yearn for that um, that other entity, mm. yeah? Um, and unfortunately, uh, many of our mothers, you know, I'm a, a big fighter for our mothers in the community because it's hard work for them. Oh, definitely. You know, They're definitely work, not to blame. You know, yeah. and um, I'm never one that blames that. I'm saying, you know, I thank mm. our women, mm. you know, for having, you know, to try and play two roles. But the bottom line is that women can't play two roles. They only yeah, can be definitely. who they are. And that psychological impact don't only impact men, it also impacts women as well. Mm. So the research suggests that young men start to demonstrate the impact of their um, absence at that particular age mm. of puberty because what they're doing is is they're trying to understand what it is to be a man. Mm. Um, and their masculinity yeah. is defined whether that is by individuals that they see as their peers, individuals that they look up to on television or external forces mm. that they find um, to be concepts of what a man is. And when that is distorted and what a man actually is, mm. that's what breeds the term hyper-masculinity. Yeah. And that's why you feel, the man must feel that, you know, I have to have mm. pants sagging, mm. I have to move a certain type of way because that's what a man is. And powerful is and, and then when you yeah. have young men that um, necessarily may have more femininity as opposed to masculinity, mm. that also presents itself as a problem as mm. well. Because then you have young men um, that are not necessarily the alpha male mm. um, and then they're possibly mistreated because they're not in the distorted kind of narrative that all men are supposed to yeah. be that certain type of way. But then the impact also for women, it's, it suggests that um, women actually do um, very well in terms of puberty mm. and whatnot. And they say the impact of women as it relates to absent fathers um, is 19 and beyond. Yeah. You know, so those women um, start to kind of display um, issues around spouses, mm. you know, choosing of partners, yeah. um, the type of relationships. So I'll go back to my original point that when I do work with um, men 
um, and father programs and I kind of look at what masculinity is. Like part of the homework for the men that have the daughters, I always say to them, you have to take your daughter out on a date. Yeah. Because you have to create that type of moral mm. grounding um, that this is what it's supposed to look like. And then, you know, reality is, is that when they grow old, they're going to make their own decisions, but they need a starting point. And the point I'm making is that most of our young men and young women don't have a starting point. So we had a starting point because we had that separate entity. Mm. So what our mums did was they, they were mothers. They made sure that they looked after us, mm. but they didn't give us the energy that we needed. And that was the two. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that is really important in terms of the development of a child psychologically, um, biologically, um, as well as their understanding of the world in which you, in which they create. And I think that all kind of goes back to a lot of other stuff around attachment issues and stuff as well. So it's all rooted, again, in theory, and that can link to some of the stuff that we're talking about. So it's really important to understand those particular dynamics and when individuals kind of, um, those interpersonal relationships that people kind of develop mm. a lot later, those things they may be based on those kind of absences yeah. that they had when they was younger, you know. So you tend to find men that are quite aggressive, mm -hmm. um, or they do the this kind of ideal that they don't need a man for yeah. the women, you know, they don't need yeah. a man in their life. And yeah. these things are ultimately kind of the um, symptoms of that psychological impact, you know. And I'll I'll, I'll share a, a quick story with you that you know I got my older brother. Mm. And uh, he grew up without his father. And I've never shared this before um, to anyone. So you're, you've, yeah, got, the, you've yeah. got the exclusive. <laughs> um, but I've grew up with my dad in my whole life. But mm. um, I've got an older brother that's seven years older than me. So my dad came into his life seven years mm. um, when he was seven years old. And then obviously I came um, and whatnot. And to my understanding, he's always been my brother's dad. Mm. But you know, as you get start to get older and you start to read things. And yeah. I realised that on certificates, I'm saying, how can your second name's different to... My second name. Does that make sense? Mm. So I said to my mum, like, how come his, well, cause our names are different? So my mum was like, oh, he's got a different dad. You know, when I met your dad, obviously it was at a time when I wasn't with his dad type of thing. I was like, oh, just never thought about it. And then years later, I, um, for the first time ever, I, uh, I witnessed my brother self-harming. Oh, for real? Um, his uh, wrists were bleeding. Mm. And I could never understand what was going on with my man. Because mm. again, stereotypes, black men don't do them things yeah, to each other. Yeah. What kind of madness yeah. you doing in the bedroom and getting me? And I remember my mum crying and she was asking him, what do you want me to do? And he kept saying, I don't know. He couldn't explain And you probably what did was it going at the time, yeah. And then I remember having a conversation with him uh, many years ago when we were driving up the road. And I just asked him a question. I said, yeah, how could you never talk about your dad? And... He got real angry with me in the car to the mm. point where he said, listen, if we have this, continue this conversation, mm. we're going to get physical. Yeah, he's now, bigger see, than you though. Nah, he's, smaller than, he's smaller than me. <laughs> but yeah, but I know when you're I'm, angry, at, I'm at an age now where it's yeah. like, it's not like how it was when we were younger. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you want to do this, let's yeah, jump out of the car. Yeah. But when I check it, these are the symptoms. And I remember him talking about when he was younger, mm. he was um, in the city centre and all his friends were like, yo, Francis, there's your, mm. there's your dad. Oh, for real. And he said his dad looked at him and his dad carried on walking. But his dad knew exactly who Yeah, he yeah, yeah. So all his bedrooms are like, yo, there's your pops. Yeah. That's and he mad. just looked at him and carried on walking. He said that was the first time. He said, and he said him a second time. Yeah. Outside of a food shop, his dad looked at him again, put his head down and walked off. So after years later, his, his dad, I'm assuming, you know, became Christian and mm. got a family and he's got a new little one and whatnot. And I think, you know, 
repented and want to you know, make connections with your children again because also you also discovered you had other brothers and sisters mm. that were roughly the same age as well. And uh, yeah, he asked him the question, like, why did you used to ignore me? And he said that he was embarrassed. Mm. But as a consequence of him not being a man in that moment, mm. caused my brother to have a real deep psychological impact mm. in terms of his growth and development. Uh, my brother's a total opposite to me. I'm the loud one and he's mm. very quiet. If you, if you don't see him, you don't know he exists. That's how quiet he is. And I think of that impact. So imagine that same psychological impact of a man like me, mm. loud, mm. alpha male, mm. masculine. I can see why many of our young people are quite violent. Most definitely. Because they're yearning to be, to have something that they're not sure what they were supposed to get. And despite the fact that my dad is his dad, he still has that question in the back of his head, but what about my dad? My dad, yeah. Does that make sense? And That's I think definitely. when I ask that question to a lot of our young men in our community, tell me about your dad, I'm always given a, an aggressive response. Mm. Not my dad. Don't want to chat to my dad. Yeah. Why are you even mentioning my man? My man's a waste man. Mm. That's a demonstration of the psychological impact, That's but different. they can't explain it. So when I speak to young women, they'll say things like, oh, I don't need that, I don't need... Same thing, I, my mum is a waste man. My mum is my mum and my dad. Mm. I don't need no man. Yeah. And then you hear both sides of the spectrum, whether it's men and women. It's the same trauma. And it's the same trauma, but they just manage it in different ways. So where men, it's, it's outward, expressive in terms of violent mm. behaviour or towards themselves. And women, it's about generally also linked to those things. So when you look at substance misuse, you look at um, alcoholism, mm. you look at violence, you look at um, suicide, mm. you look at self-harming, all of those particular issues, not just solely violence. When you do those kind of studies and start looking at, you know, what are some of the things that have been missing in terms of the, the lives of young men and women, mm. you find that the psychological impact of absent fathers is a real major impact and it's another thing that we don't look at so it goes back to there's not one point mm. and one reason to why our young men and young women do the things that they do in our society yeah wow that's that's well that was a lot to take that was a heavy one mm. but um I, I completely get it and um because as i told you previously like i had I replayed back my whole life. I replayed yeah. back my whole estate. I replayed back my whole area. Yeah. I replayed back everyone's lives. And then I was able to figure it all out. And I realized as well that obviously from a spiritual standpoint, I realized that when you carry hate and deep burden inside, yeah. you're never truly happy. You're never truly free. And especially if you're carrying hate and a deep burden for someone who is a part of you, someone yeah. who, who helped create you, someone yeah. who was meant to give you an element of you so that you'd be able to navigate this yeah. world, that is torture. Yeah. But how do how do we, how do we deal with trauma like that? Mm -hmm. Do you see what I mean? There's, there's multiple ways to deal with the trauma, um, and I'm not a trauma specialist, by yeah. the way. Um, but I think it starts with owning up to the things that we've done wrong. Mm. You know, we need to, as a community, we need to go through a, a process of healing. Mm. You know, we're still victims of a wider system. You know, and part of that wider system is historic. Mm. It's intergenerational. You know, things that have been passed down to us mm. that we now believe that is part of our culture. Mm. That's not part of our culture. Mm. You know, we talk about this kind of, this notion that, you know, many people from Caribbean or African communities are fatherless. Where the hell's that come from? 
How is it that we've we've kind of adopted this kind of stereotype yeah. that and we now we spread amongst ourselves as well. We spread amongst ourselves that mm. we actually believed that, but historically we wasn't like that. So what yeah. happened? Yeah. But then we have to start talking about what happened when we came to these countries mm. and what happened in terms of policy. Mm. See, going back to the point again, yeah. we're victims of a wider system. Yeah. So if that yeah. system has created an environment for us to behave in this particular way, we need to start reanalyzing what those things are about Do you and how that's I impacted and contributed to the things that we've done. Because I come from a Caribbean community mm -hmm. and I know that when my, my, my great, great grandparents and my grandparents came here, they didn't come here as criminals. Mm. They all came here with trades. Yeah. They come here to rebuild Great Britain. They were skilled people. But they? then they also, also recognise and understand that when they also came, they weren't allowed to all come together as a family unit. Mm. So we already came. Yes, we had skills, we had trade, mm. we had something to give, but we came dysfunctional. Dysfunctional in the sense that mm. daughter could come, but two brothers had to stay. Mm. Just you and dad were here for like six years. Mm then mommy can come and then another sister and a brother can mm. come later. And in those particular contexts, what was then happening, you and I know that relationships were formed whilst people were here. 100%. So then mom then comes and then it's her madness. And then these are the things that was happening. And then social policy kicked in mm. that we're going to give you benefits. Especially if there's a we can, man, we can man help man. you out, but if there's no man, man you can get the benefits. Yeah. So that created a new culture so within communities, predominantly poor communities, predominantly communities where there was people of colour mm. that said, you know what, you got if you're at home and you're single, you don't need no man. We'll and that reinforces the wider trap that I'm mentioning. So when we're talking about aspects of violence, we need to understand that there's a deeper trap that's, mm. that we're all victim of. And those of us that know about that deeper trap, it's, it's upon us to shape those narratives. So that's why I respect the work that you're doing mm. because it's upon us to teach those narratives. Most definitely. Yeah. What is it that's in our family? So for me, it's important that a man should be in his child's life. Mm. So disrespect if you're not in your child's 100%. life. 100%. It's a big disrespect. 100%. You're not to the point where I don't want to roll with you mm. if that's not what you're on because that's the mentality that we're supposed to have mm. as men. You can't be my bedroom and you don't check for your youth. Mm. You can't be a man that's saying he's got Pierre Gal and you don't check for your youths and mm. you're going to check Gal more than you're going to check for youths. I don't rate that. You're I don't rate that. Going on. I don't rate that yeah. at all. So for me, it's about we need to understand what men are. Mm. We need to start going back to the roots are because then when we understand what men are and the role of men in our society, we'll start doing things that men are supposed to do, 100%. like take care of our children. So if that means that at the time where I need to pick up your son mm. because you're at work between four and six, I'm going to go grab you, you. Because I'd, what's the point of me picking up my son and your son's got to walk home and we both live around the corner from each yeah. other. You know what? You can jump in the car too because that's the difference between my son being good and your son walking up the road with a man then because he's worried about mm. some next man that's going to come from a next block or a next end and ask him that same question, where you from? Where you from? So why am I going to put your son in that same scenario? Even though we might not even know each other like that, but it's the fact that we're from the same community. That's the village mentality that's gone. And it's been destroyed, not just because of governmental policy and social policy. It's also because we've now believed in the madness that we believe that, you know what, I don't even want to chat to man, no, I don't really trust him. Mm. Where's that come from? That's also historical. Because if I can make you believe that you can't trust the man up the road because of religion, mm. because of belief, yeah. because of what you're on and what I'm not on, as long as all of that distrust, again, the distraction mm. is there, we're not going to do the things that we're going to do. Yeah. I don't care what you believe. Our mission is we're trying to safeguard our kids. Mm. 
And if your way is your way and my way is my way, we shouldn't really be free. We can have a, a deep philosophical argument or a religious type of debate at another time. But hmm. is that important right now to make sure that these men are just safe to go to and from school, where they can be educated and are not worrying about external things that impact their education? That's what I'm on. Yeah. So until we start to have those conversations first, the wider conversations about youth violence around the country, for me, are secondary. Because we all want the violence to stop, but we're not thinking about, well, what do we need to be doing collectively as a community in order to do that? Let's stop the distractions. Mm. Sorry, like, you know, as I said, I come from the Caribbean and, you know, every year we have Jamaican Independence Day. Right now, I don't feel Jamaica's independent. Mm. And I'm just saying that right on camera. Yeah. I'm going to be real. And I'm saying I'm proud to be from that continent. Mm. I'm proud to be, sorry, from the island. Mm. I'm proud to be from there. But I don't see no independence when China's taking over the whole place. Yeah. So what we're celebrating... Let's deal with our communities. Let's work with our communities. Mm. Let's fight to be men and women in our communities. Mm. Because when things go wrong in our communities, the first people that we blame is each other. Yeah. And when we believe that it's us that's the problem, then how are we going to find a solution? So it's a lot deeper than just young men, young women, picking up knives, going to school, coming from school, going to college, on road. Mm. It's a lot deeper than that. We can't ignore the wider systems that are out there that are designed to keep us like that. Yeah. Look what's happening with the music industry as a whole. Yeah, you mentioned it before. Well. Yeah, social media and the music. You mentioned industry, it before. In the UK. It's another big distraction. Mm. So if I can keep you talking about self-destruction mm. and I can just keep getting paid off self-destruction, mm. it's another form of another distraction. Yeah. Because my drive up to here, um, I was playing like a mix on um, Spotify. Yeah. So I just went to UK rap, played a mix. And I knew I was coming to speak to you and the, and the, and the topics and the subjects we're going to speak on. I can tell you, for the, for the two and a half hour drive, every single song I heard, someone got killed, some drug got taken, yeah, yeah. and some women mm -hmm. got demoralised. Yeah, yeah. mm -hmm. Every single track yeah, yeah. for mm -hmm. two and a half hours, non-stop. And it's by UK black artists. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are making money now from this. So there's a machine behind it. Mm -hmm. There's a corporate it machine sells. now behind it. It sells. it sells. And we're constantly perpetuating mm -hmm. these ideas and we're constantly pushing them forward. Like, what is the responsibility of the industry? When you look at a lot of the spearheads of this industry, it's mm -hmm. not owned by young black men. That is the scary part. So <laughs> how do we combat this? I think that's the one of the, I think that's probably one of our newer challenges. Mm. That um, is social but, media, definitely. Yeah, but yeah. That's, it's not a new discussion though. Mm. It's a new challenge for us, but it's not a new discussion. Because just like when we had Gangster Rap that came mm. to America, that kind of fought against the mm. opposing freedom and justice and equality narratives that were coming from your public enemies, your mm. KRS ones yeah. and, and and so on and so forth. That particular type of energy sells and unfortunately it's become what I call the lottery ticket. Yeah. It's the golden ticket for our youths now. So they know that if they can jump in a studio and they can, you know, make music that is talking about killing, mm. shooting, how much bricks that you sell and how much clothes that you can wear, it keeps that machine going mm. in terms of, you know, or creating that illusion that this is a lifestyle that many of us can achieve through those mm. particular types of means. And as long as we can keep you thinking and believing that it's the only way in order for you to um, make legitimate money, there's a lot of our young men are going to do it. Yeah. And when you're talking about combating, I think it's more about, well, what is the counter-narrative? Mm. 
as opposed to combating because violence always sells, yeah. as I mentioned in my first point. And if point. it's become a means of a way out now, it's like, how do you even convince someone to change the subject that they're talking about when I can make money talking about this? Because if I go out and talk about nine to five or getting a job... You're not going to get it. You're not gonna the man just going to yeah. say, it's nice, but yeah. it's not really what man want to listen. I don't mm. want to listen to that driving on the motorway. Mm. I want to hear some, yeah. some drilling. Yeah. I want to hear about a man getting his head yeah. licked off because we're a violent society mm -hmm. and it's what we talk about and it's no different to it's almost like asking the same question of uh, how we're going to combat Hollywood and their, their gangster movies yeah. it's the same question mm -hmm. it's always going to sell it just so happens that when we talk about that wider system of self-destruction what I said earlier is that we're victims mm -hmm. of that wider system so the violence is always there still in the movies mm -hmm. still in all of Netflix narcos and all these things make billions mm -hmm. in terms of the people that watch it and subscribe to the violence but when the violence exists within our community, because of all of the other factors that exist that I mentioned earlier, mm. we become the worst off in terms of the system of violence. Am I making sense? I get it. So because, because we're victims of that wider system, it's always going to be worse in our community. Because remember, white people in other communities are also reading and watching and observing mm. the violent music. But in their context, they've got services, they've got resources, They've got opportunities. They don't live on a poverty line in most cases. So because those four particular elements exist within their social reality, when the violent music um, viewership and all those things come to them, their response to that particular narrative is not the same as we would yeah. living on an estate with just my mum because there ain't no other options here for me. So me versus a, a youth that lives in an affluent area, he can listen to the music all day yeah. and he will say, but I listen to the music and I don't need to go on the road and start killing people. Yeah. But you don't live in an environment where a man's going to ask you where you're from and prepared mm. to kill you. Does that make sense? Definitely, yeah. But I live in an environment mm. that tells me, listen, if a man slides around the corner in a four-door truck, mm. I need to make sure that I got my 4-4. Four -four. Yeah. That's what the narrative tells you. Mm. You get me? I need to move with the man then. We need to stay clear for the ops. You get me? I ain't trying to dash and I'm not trying to be on 10 toes. Yeah. These are the things that the narratives tell them. But if you don't live in an environment where you don't have to be on no 10 toes, then none of the stuff bothers yeah. you. So you can't, you can't, you can't use feeling. that parallel and that example to say, well, oh, but why do you guys do it and why don't you do it? Because you need to also understand the social dynamics and the spaces in which they come from. And I'm not suggesting that only black people come from those particular environments. But if we look at the wider context mm. to the point that I made earlier, we are victims of that wider system that is designed for us to get the worst brunt of whatever it is that is, is, is the issue. So when we talk about, okay, well, what's going on in the world? And we say, oh, extremism is the biggest fear in our society. I was saying that knife crime to any parent in the UK right now is the biggest fear. I'm not worrying about anything getting blown up right now in Birmingham. I'm worried about are my nieces, my nephews, my cousins and my family, are, are they good in their community? That's what I'm worried about. I'm not worried about extremism right now. I'm worried about knife crime yeah. because that's what's damaging my community. And as long as music purport that it's the way to be and it's the way of life, you're going to have young people that genuinely believe that it is part of the, their, their life, unfortunately. Yeah. Social media is becoming the fuel as well that's kind of like 
adding like more fuel to the fire and it's, it's, it's kind of distracting and it's scary because if you check social media and you check out the comments yeah. and you check out people's interactions they're kind of like egging each other on yeah. all, all the mm -hmm. time endlessly and you tend to find that if, if, if you go into some of the pages that are egging some people and you realise that they're not even people from the end that are egging them on it's, people it's, from it's spectators from, from anywhere? in the middle of nowhere yeah. like stirring up beef that's mm -hmm. in London that's in mm -hmm. Birmingham that's in Nottingham that's in Manchester mm -hmm. and that to me is scary that these spectators that have got no association they, they're not going to mm -hmm. be affected by it are able to easily just like add fuel to the fire just like that yeah and i think it's important and i think um, one of the papers that i wrote last year that looked at the, the role of drill music part of the uh, chapter i was talking about was the amplification of violence mm -hmm. and the audience and so one of the things that we don't look at and i'm glad you've mentioned this is the role of the audience mm -hmm. and it's almost like spectator culture mm -hmm. you know is because it's exciting yeah. remember violence is exciting mm -hmm. so if violence is exciting I'm gonna go live and now I've got platforms that allow me mm. to tell you what to do now in real in real yeah. time. So you can make Instagram live and I'll be like, yo, Francis, box my man in his face. Yeah. You get me? Slap him in his face, yeah. and then you'll have a, a man from from Huddersfield mm. saying, Yeah, yeah, Francis, punch him in his face. And then you'll have a man from Liverpool saying, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or who are you, you waste man? Mm. Then there's some argument yeah. taking place there, and an individual that is behind the camera is engaging to that in real time. Mm. But then that also shows me there's a deeper conversation that also takes place as the role of social media. And part of my research, um, my PhD, I'm talking about the role of social media, nihilism and narcissism, mm. in this idea that social media by default is creating a narcissistic culture, yeah. in this idea that I want everybody to look at me, mm. look what I've got, look at the things that I, I have. Because if I'm in a state of, you know what, poverty and acute poverty, and I know that life's not great for me, but I can show you some Dior shoes mm. and I can show you like a Dior t-shirt or a Fendi top. That's going to make you look at me. I'm going to get likes from that. Yeah, yeah it's going to boost my self-esteem. Steam is going to shape my ego. Even though it's a false reality, it's still going to shape me in the way in which I want to be. And then when you have an individual that disrespects that, then you got that nihilistic mm. idea of it's just about destruction. Yeah. But I argue that most people live in destructive environments anyway. And because they live in those same destructive environments that tell them that violence is the only solution to deal with a problem, when they come into contact with social media, nihilism, mm -hmm. along with a narcissistic environment, amplification, those okay. things together yeah. will cause a man to stab you up on site. Mm -hmm. And that's why a man will see you outside the school and say, well, what did you say? What was you saying online the other day, big man? Mm. And then a man's prepared to take your life over something that was said online. Man put laugh out loud. Man from Essex, man from Huddersfield, man from Liverpool are laughing and commenting and those men egged on the situation that they would never be in London, yeah. they would never be in Birmingham, but they egged on the situation that's now prepared or preparing me to now take your life yeah. based on a comment or a video. Mm. And then now we have this idea about narcissistic um, behaviours with nihilistic traits that a lot of our young men and young women possess. Mm we have social media that also keeps our young people addicted mm -hmm. to these particular types of um, media platforms. And it's interesting because you might remember last year, there was a documentary on Panorama. Uh, and the question was, is Facebook making our children addicted? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah and it was interesting yeah. that the individuals that they were asking about that documentary and the things they were asking about them on that documentary, they were saying, you know, are you designing things to make people... And they didn't want to answer the question. Yeah. But that says to me, then if, 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 if that is the truth and that is the case, that billions are going into mm. creating um, platforms that have people addicted mm -hmm. 
let's go back to the wider context that I'm talking about in terms of violence. And then let's start breaking down all of the multifacets mm. of the things that I've mentioned earlier. So you've got all of those problems that are going on in household, in mm. family. You've got all of those issues that are going on in school as it relates to peer pressure. Mm. You've got all those things that are happening in the ends that links to peer pressure and opportunity mm. and am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the wrong thing? Am I going to be protected? Am I going to be safe? And then you've got social media that are marketing that violent cells and you should be a part of the 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 wave of violence and and defamation and and talking about women in a particular type of way but i'm gonna make you addicted to this yeah and let's hold that for a moment i'm gonna make you addicted to it i'm gonna make you addicted to violence i'm gonna make you addicted to drugs i'm gonna make you addicted to sex i'm gonna make you addicted to all of that as a wider distraction and that's why I go back to my original point that we can't have this conversation and not talk about race. And we can't talk about racism as just the kind of Oxford Dictionary Eurocentric definition of what it is. We have to start talking about African-centred understanding of what these things are and it's a system. And all of the things that we're talking about is a part of that wider system of racism in the sense that it is part of a power that is designed to impact all forms of human activity and social media also is a part of that form of human activity. If I can make you addicted to these behaviours and these things, that's the reason why it's normalised. Wow. And that's the reason why you're driving and you're probably not even thinking, you know what, what am I man even saying? Because now it's... Yeah, you're just vibes into yeah, it's it. Vibes yeah. it's Sonic vibes now. It's vibes. entering into your I'm head. I'm telling yeah. you about your licking man down. You're mm. like, yo, you should get your bars. Yeah. I remember growing up and my mum be like, yo, yo, what, what, what's that music you're playing there? Mm. Like, but now yeah, they don't even understand think, the lingo to even... understand the lingo, yeah, does that mean say, But language has changed. Yeah. So, so the development of language and the development of slang and the way our expressions and the words mm. and what it means in London versus what it means in Birmingham, there's things that connect us. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the words that we're using anyway are from Chicago and Atlanta yeah, and yeah. other places anyway. Yeah. So it shows that, that even social media and the narratives are socialised. Because if we're looking at Chicago, again, and we're talking about the murder capital of the world, and we're talking about where Drew Drill music came from. Yeah, Chicago. Drew, you know, yeah. and these are the things that, you know, why has it become a, a phenomenon here? Mm. And interesting enough, why has it become a phenomenon in the spaces that are the most violent mm. in the inner city across the country? Mm. You know, so it's, it's, there's nothing that's detached. Yeah. It's all connected to that wider system that I keep referencing earlier. Mm. So for me, I go with the words of what um, the late, Dr. Frances Chris Wilson argues, she argued that when we understand racism as a system and how it operates as a system, until we understand what that system is, mm-hmm. we can't respond to the system and combat the issues that truly impact our communities until we understand that wider system. Yeah. And as long as we keep having superficial conversations and not addressing the elephant in the room, we will forever have these conversations. Wow. Craig, that's a, that's a powerful place to end it. That's a super powerful place to end it. And like, I mean, to me, myself, this has been super insightful because I've always been, I've always been an individualist and gradually now I'm starting to kind of like unravel from all of that and try to understand the wider picture as to why things are happening. Because I, I hear of kids getting stabbed. I've seen kids getting stabbed. I've seen all sorts. And, I've never been able to truly understand it, but during the various periods of time where I've kind of like seen it directly or mm-hmm. been involved directly, there's been different emotional sides to the to yeah. to my engagement with it. There's been yes. periods of like, ah, oh, he's not he's not one of my guys. Ah, oh, that's calm. That happens in the ends all the time. Yeah, you become desensitized mm-hmm. to it. It's like, yeah, oh, minor. Mm-hmm. Like even the other day, yesterday actually, my little brother sent me the video of um of of a kid lying down after just being stabbed and stuff, and I'm thinking, right. 
He's, he's 13 and he just sent it so calmly. You're just sitting on the opposite side to him. Yeah, so yeah. it was like, oh, I think my dad must have asked him to send it to him because he wanted to show um, my mom. And then I was like, send it to him. And he just calmly just sent it and then continued going back playing his game. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, raw, like, this is how we engage with death. This is how we engage with a human being losing their life, their it's dreams, their aspirations, like their sorrows and the pains of all their family. And like, I don't think it should be that way. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Human life is way bigger than that, mm-hmm. especially within a community that's already suffering from yeah. so many things. You see what I mean? So now that I'm looking at it from a wider perspective, I'm really starting to understand it and I'm trying to unravel it and then put the informative and educational information mm-hmm. out there for people to, to open up people's minds to the conversation and yeah. to the idea and to maybe open up their hearts and maybe like make them a bit more empathetical to the situation yeah. and what it is that's really happening yeah. out there. Do you know what I mean? And that, that is what I'm trying to do. And this conversation here has been like, it's been extremely beneficial to me yeah. and I hope it's been beneficial yeah. to my audience and my Absolutely. listeners out there. Yeah. But before we leave, can you like... So what would you say to a 13 to 18 year old you out there right now mm-hmm. that lives in the maddest state where there's beef, things are happening? Mm-hmm. He's scared. He's scared for his life. Like he doesn't know how to navigate the roads. He doesn't know mm-hmm. how to navigate the world. Like what advice would you give to that you? And also what advice would you give to the family? Like let's say the single mm-hmm. parent mother, as in like her worries and her, 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 her fears for her children. Yeah. Like how should mm-hmm. she navigate the world and how mm-hmm. should she sort of kind of deal with, obviously you don't have all the answers, but yeah, from your experience, yeah, yeah. what um, are the best methods for just, both of these it's, people? It's, um, it's not necessarily a method, it's more of a statement to mm. a young man. So any young man that presents this type of issue mm. of how do they navigate through the, their, 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 their lives and to ensure that they're going to be safe, my statement would always be stay alive. I don't believe in kind of this tokenistic statement that's, you know, if I say this statement, it's going to benefit all young people Mm. because many young people are going through a million different types of things which we've discussed in so many different Mm. types of ways. But I would always say to a young person is try to find or align yourself with individuals or a person that has life experience, Mm. that understands the road, but it's not a negative entity on the road because that person will assure that they're giving you information that's going to enable you to stay alive. So like when I speak to young people and they say, you know what, Craig, um, I've got beef with certain man and I'm worried about seeing them after school or whatever. And I'll ask a question about, well, what way do you go home? Mm. And say, well, I catch the bus to go this way to get home and so there's an alternative way to go home. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't have bought your text. And I take man an hour. I said, that's the route that you're going to need to take. Mm-hmm. So I'm not giving you a solution that's ultimately going to save your life. Mm-hmm. It's definitely going to reduce the possibility of you booking them, man. Because mm-hmm. the reality is that them, man, are going to find someone else that they've got a problem with anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's sad to say that, but they're not going to be worrying about you so much. So you need to be out of sight, out of mind type of mentality so stay alive is always going to be the statement and find people that can help you navigate your way to ensure that you're going to be safe at a critical time where you feel that there's going to be beef so if you know that your man them are always saying let's go to the city centre for example you need to then find a new strategy to say that you can't roll mm. gotta look after my sister you know big man mm. gotta look after my little brother mm-hmm. like, oh, I gotta go to my nans like they're always stressing me after mm-hmm. so it's like a period where you know that the man them are going to put you in a situation mm-hmm. where you're going to have to back certain if certain goes off yeah so it's about finding individuals that can give you strategies. You heard me mention that earlier, there's not strategies that young people are given in order to keep themselves safe. So with parents, I would always kind of say and follow the same philosophy, but slightly different. Mm-hmm. It's more so about finding those within the community that are 
having conversations about how you can keep your children safe. And oftentimes, most mothers and fathers in our community that are victims um, of this wider issue of violence, they feel that they're alone. Yeah. And oftentimes, when I've worked with a lot of parents in the household, it's them that need the help more than the child. Mm -hmm. You know, because they're the ones that have to, you know, deal with the burden of stress. You know, I'm at work thinking that, you know what, my son, my daughter might get caught up in her madness. I can't even sleep. Your son goes out. I'm not sleeping until he gets home. I'm yeah. texting him. Every... That alone is traumatic to the fear and anxiety that our children also possess. A lot of our parents also hold that burden as well. So similar but different to children is... Find people that are having these conversations and can align yourself. So in Birmingham, we set up parenting groups. So for those of us, or for those that are watching this now, if you if you have a space, you know whether that's in a religious institution, in a school, or in a, a community centre, whatever, create a space. I don't know, one day, every couple of weeks, fortnightly, once a month, where parents can come together and talk about their issues and concerns, and then use that space to bring external organisations in. Voluntary organisations can say, you know what, you know, we work in the area, can we help, can we support? It's not going to deal with every problem. But to know that, you know what, there's a body of people in my little community that are doing something, and oftentimes there's a lot of people doing stuff, we just don't know that they exist. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is where social media, in terms of the point I made about counter-narrative, because we need to be showing the community that despite the evil forces that are out there, there's actually people out there doing good. Mm. Whether it's podcasts, whether it's interviews, whether it's people doing projects, whether it's people doing campaigns, whether it's helping people in terms of law, helping people in terms of understanding their rights. There's loads of stuff going on. And oftentimes it's in the areas where all the madness is taking place. Yeah. So if you have the opportunity to create a space, speak to a school teacher on Monday morning, speak to someone in the community, a community leader and say to them, listen, you know, I'm not saying I want to lead it, but I think that this is what we should do. Mm. This is the issue in our community. Religious institutions, I always do work with religious institutions, regardless of what faith. And I say, your spaces are paramount 100%. in this space of austerity. Because yeah. mm -hmm. if the youth centres are closed, why is your building only open on a Friday for prayers mm. or Saturday or Sunday for mm. congregation um, prayers or um, whatever you're doing on the weekends or christenings, mm. weddings, funerals? should be open all the time. And I know that in most of those congregations, there's going to be a youth worker, there's mm -hmm. going to be a social worker, 100%. there's going to be a family worker, there's going to be a psychologist, mm -hmm. there's going to be a counsellor, there's going to be someone that can really engage with all of the issues. And I'm not saying that they must have an extended job mm -hmm. on top of their jobs, but can you contribute something to somebody mm -hmm. in that institution where you can run a space between four and six, mm -hmm. you can run a space between six and nine, one day a week, two days a week. So... Parents can ask those questions and say, what can we do in, with our young people? And you'll find that when you start to proactively have those conversations with members of your community, because you're not alone. You know, if you live on a state, you're a part of a community yeah. and they're going to be connected to other elements of the community. And it's about how do we utilise our spaces more effectively? Mm -hmm. So that would be the advice that I would give to any parent that's essentially doing that as opposed to us looking at one individual, thinking that one individual can solve the wider problem of what we're talking mm -hmm. about. Oh, Craig, appreciate that, man. No, come on, appreciate it, brother. Mm. It's been a pleasure having you on here. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of stuck in the yeah. zone, but yeah, I'll definitely like some point down the line in the future, like to catch up again. Definitely do a part yeah. two, catch up again, and just 
discuss it and get the knowledge out there and get people yeah. really getting active and working i mean what you said about like religious organizations is a big one like yeah. um, my church we do we do quite a lot like on on fridays we have like open we, we feed people mm-hmm. and we, we run football events yeah, for like yeah. the, a lot mm-hmm. of the youth and stuff mm-hmm. a lot of like mentoring stuff that yes. we're involved in mm-hmm. but i definitely feel like there's more we can do of course considering the size mm-hmm. of our buildings in my church in particular like the building is massive yeah there's so much more that we can mm-hmm. do in terms of opening up for the wider community mm-hmm. yeah we're, we're opening up for the people within the church but then sometimes wider extend community, it, of course. Yeah, wider yeah, community because yeah, yeah. at the end of the day if, you, if you're just mm-hmm. protecting your kids yeah, yeah. like who's mm-hmm. to say that the kids outside mm-hmm. of the community are gonna, i think are even i think kids. even deeper a lot of the people from the congregation's children are involved in madness oh yeah 100%. but they may not come to the church yeah 100%. does that make sense so again mm-hmm. if there was an announcement that on thursdays or on sunday mm-hmm. afternoons for example we've got a counselor in mm-hmm. the building that's going to give their time for about an hour and a half yeah you know to talk to people about issues you'd be surprised mm-hmm. how many people start coming oh forward. definitely does that definitely. make sense so because a lot of religious organizations we understand charity from the perspective of food mm. yeah so we do a lot of charity banks mm. and stuff and all commendable work mm. with food banks and we do loads of these types of things feeding people feeding the homeless but what about poverty of the mind yeah our children are poor mentally. Mm. So if our children are poor mentally, we need to be doing things that engage with young people and their mentality because we need to be changing their mindsets mm. and we need to be finding ways to change with their mindsets. So sport is always a good tool, mm. but it can't just be football. It needs to be football plus an educational process yeah. that goes with that as well. So a lot of the work that we do up here is that many of the organisations that I support and they do brilliant work, um, they do a sporting um, activity but then it's followed up by something that is educational yeah. as well so that's the that's kind of the token that yeah you can play the football and you're going to have the piece but you got to take something, gotta take something as yeah. well so it's that constant process around assistance mm. so it's not just one particular thing that we're doing and I think that most particular organisations can really implement that mm. you know and I think that you know it's not just about spiritual upliftment it's also about engaging with young people are where they're at yeah. And it's also about engaging with young people in terms of the current trends and the contemporary issues that they're faced with. Because telling me about spiritual enlightenment is brilliant for my soul, but the reality is I've still got to go to school and the man them want to knock me out. Yeah. So you need to be giving me information that's going to help me to navigate. So then that that by doing that, we don't need to then have these superficial statements of saying, well, what would you do? Mm. Or what would you tell a 13-year-old mm. that's going through that problem? Because he's getting it every single day. Yeah, I'm, uh, he's, get, he's having options. Mm. That's what our young men need. They need options. Yeah. That's what our young women need. They need options. Definitely. And the more options that you can have is going to help. I have options. If I'm presenting with an issue in my life, mm. I have options. Yeah. But a man that don't have options and his only option is to do madness. He's going to end up doing He's going to do madness. Yeah. It's gonna be madness if I can't manage my if I can't manage my my, my emotions. Mm. And the man saying, "Yo, a man's just disrespecting me online, or a man's disrespecting me on the road." Mm. I don't have any other option. So the option that's always available to me is I need to mash my man up. Yeah. But if the other option is mediation, if the other option is you know what, let's sit down and talk. Mm. If the other option is you know what, allow it. Mm. If you have all those other options presented to them, even though they might be hard. Yeah. But because those options are not available to those young people. I can guarantee if enough man that are locked up right now for life before stabbing for someone, I say, you know, if someone said to you, you know what, there was a well-known member of the community that knows you and a well-known in the member in the community that knows my man that you got a beef with mm. 
if there was a conversation that took place, would you have took it? And I'd probably say, yeah. you know what, fam? I raw would have, you yeah. know. There's a situation like that, that that still kind of haunts me to this day. So yeah. there, there was a kid in my in my in like kind of like my extended church family. Yeah. And my mum was always like, oh, can you call this kid? Because there's a lot of things happening. Like his house got run up on his mum and yeah. mum and whoever got beaten mm -hmm. up, whatever. So she was like, call him, call him, call him. But I I, I really tried. I, I tried to call him. I tried to call him several times. I wasn't getting through to him. Mm -hmm. And then the odd time where he answered my message, he wasn't really following up with any other further answers. And then a couple of weeks after, I heard he's in, he got he got nicked. He's in prison now for for an imp charge. Yeah. And I still kind of beat myself up about it a little bit because initially I was like, oh, if I, if I only tried harder, oh, if I only done this, I would have got through to him yeah, and yeah, yeah. managed to change him. But the thing is, his situation was so deep and so dark that there was possibly nothing I could have done. But at the time, I thought maybe, perhaps, if I would have had a little word with him, maybe, he, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. you yeah, just yeah. never know, he wouldn't mm. have gone and retaliated yeah, yeah. or he wouldn't mm. have been part of that group that mm -hmm. went and retaliated and now got got him yeah, caught yeah. up in mm -hmm. whatever case that he got caught up in. And it, it kind of puts me in a position now where I feel like anytime I'm presented with something, I, I want to jump on it. But at the same time, I'm only one man and there's only so much I can do. Yeah, of course. And that's why I feel like that doing, doing a podcast, I'm able to try and turn heads Without necessarily trying to be everywhere, because if I try to be yeah, everywhere course. on an individual yeah, level, it's, it's very difficult. So yeah, more impossible. people that are doing stuff out in mm. the community should step up and, and be heard yeah, and be out mm, there. Like mm. get their social media out there, show that there's positive people yeah, doing stuff that look mm. like you out there. Do you know what I mean? It's not all of us that are trapped. That's the counter narrative. That's the counter narrative. That needs to be heard. Like mm. your your researcher doing PhD and so forth. Mm. Like how many people expect a guy with a beard like yeah, you, yeah, yeah, henching yeah, that coming yeah, from the yeah, ends, mm. doing a PhD and giving out lectures to masses of people? You see what I mean? That counter that counter narrative is needed and it's, and it's mm. super helpful for the um, community and that's why I'm encouraging and spurring more people on to do so and that's what I'm trying to do and it's, it, a lot of it comes from feeling that sense of like oh I could have potentially done something yeah. in that situation yeah. well yeah. it's not it's not my to blame because mm. I know how the ends work if you're in something too deep there's only so much and older that you don't really know much about can do and, I yes, didn't, and I, he didn't really know mm. me mm. but obviously my parents knew his parents and I kind of knew who his yeah, parents was mm -hmm. so they thought I could mediate being who I am mm. and, and the type of work that I do but I just missed that one because obviously it was, it was mm. hard for me to connect and, and, it's, and it's a hard one and I know that I've been in loads of those situations mm where a lot of my young boys now are, are doing life man, and I just yeah. think maybe if I maybe if I well at the same time I, I, um, I'm content with the fact that I tried my best in most mm. cases and I also recognise that you as one person mm. can't solve every single problem that may be faced by that young person Definitely, at a yeah. particular yeah. time um, and all we can do is kind of hope that we plant those seeds mm. that enable our young men and our young women in our community that they nurture in a particular point where they don't have to turn to the madness. Mm. And all we can do is try. Yeah. So, you know, when I talk about preserving lives of young people, even if I can just save one, I'm good. Mm. I'm good. Because I'm me versus a hundred man that's Talking about madness. Yeah, I'm good. Mm. You know, and I, I, I think that that shouldn't that shouldn't be a burden that we all hold on as well. So I would say that you know that maybe will always be there, and there'll be probably another thirty cases mm. of the maybe. But I think as long as we seem to be proactively and doing something mm -hmm. to shape, change, put a narrative out there that is counter to 
the madness that we hear about every single day than we're doing our work. Yeah. You know, because it takes a lot for us to do what we're doing. Mm. You know, and a lot of people think you can just jump up and put camera on and mm. do the work that you do. I kind of stand in front of a, mm. a group of people and do that. No, it's hard, man, because Definitely. when you have to deal with, you know, the real nitty gritty stuff that sometimes off camera, mm. you know, is, is, is the real challenge. And not a lot of people are willing to do it, but yet you have communities and people in communities that will tell you that you're not doing enough, mm. yet they don't do nothing. Um, so keep up the work, man. You know, I'm very humble and I'm thankful that you've allowed me to have this opportunity. Um, and I hope that those that are watching this today are inspired, motivated, might even enable you to think differently to the context of violence, knife crime, murder in our communities and also how potentially we can respond yeah. to this issue, but also to get us to ask critical questions to ourselves about, well, what do we need to be doing as a community? Um, and for me, one of my narratives is that we need to stop being distracted because I don't get distracted no more. Yeah. You know, I used to be all up in the clubs and all up in the <laughs> yeah. places that yeah. I don't get distracted no more because I need to focus on that work. Mm. I need to focus on the purpose. And you find that those that stay focused, that stay proactive, that stay woke, mm. truly, you find that they always have effective ways about them and engaging in whatever it is that they decide to do. Mm. Because the passion, the knowledge, the lack of distractions enables you to stay focused. Yeah. And you look at anybody in the society that has done anything phenomenal, they haven't been distracted. And I think as long as that we as an entity, because I'm not an individual, I'm part of a wider entity, as long as we're distracted as an entity, we're going to forever keep having the same conversations that we've been having for the last 10 years. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Craig, it's been a pleasure. Come on, King. It's been a pleasure. Mm. Ooh, now that was some deep, amazing stuff.